Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, again, this is Gullah Jack. I'm here with Brother Amos and Brother Macaroo once again, brothers. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, brother. It would be remiss if I did not ask you, brother. Almost as the baby in the midst of death and suffering, we affirm life by nurturing and cre- creating life. Uh, how's the baby? You doing good. The young warrior's doing good. Yeah, sitting here, uh, coming up on I-85, uh, thinking about Dr. King, thinking about Kwame Ture, a.k.a. Stokely Carmichael, who intoned many years ago, Black Power, uh, Dr. Ture at that point in time never really put a definition on it. Uh, you know, clearly we've had many scholars, including Dr. Ray, to really uh, espouse and be more specific in terms of the thing that we need most, Brother Amos Wilson in particular, Power is the ability to be African, to live authentically versus wearing the mask of grinning and lies. Of course, in recent weeks, we just commemorated the uh, birthday of the great Marvin Gaye, who uttered, makes me want to holler, throw up both my hands. Classic album, Inner City Blues. I was also doing some reflection on Dr. Baruti down in Atlanta, and he deals heavily with the concept of menticide, the destruction of the African mind with the intent of destroying those people. You know, suffice it to say, the logical conclusion of white supremacy and racism is menticide or genocide. Baruti, the doctor, writes, for the process of menticide to be effective, the conditions must exist that our institutions must come under the complete control of the oppressor or he must have the power to significantly influence them. For the black race, this is the conditions that exist in 2019. You know, once again, we're talking about the power differential. Uh, we were talking about the Stockholm Syndrome earlier on. You know, I know Brother McCaru talks about the fact that we have become comfortable in our oppression. You know, oftentimes, or in every instance, it requires a high degree of individual initiative. I'm not releasing the white supremacist dynamic and its institutional control, uh, but we also have to play a role too. We're talking about systemic change, if we had the power. We're talking about cultural change, cultural empowerment, and individual responsibility. But <clears throat> the point I was gonna make was that Baruti talks about primarily six different areas where we must institutionalize. Education, family, spirituality, politics, economics, 
and the one where we critically fall short, that is the military apparatus. Now, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that we cannot talk about our condition without also talking about the role of the oppressor, or else you will come up with incorrect conclusions. Uh, just some passing thoughts. Uh, brothers, ladies and gentlemen in the audience, uh, as it relates to family, it is obvious to me that many of our parents need a parent. We're talking about an African-centered parental approach where parents are visionary thinkers and eternal students. Now's as good of a time, parents, to start as any. Ms. Gullah Jack, I'll turn it over to Brother Macaroon and Brother Amos. Thank you, Gullah Jack. Looking into the topic, the hot topic right now, one of the hot topics, the many hot topics, concerning African people in the diaspora and African people on the continent is the discussion of reparations. And I know we briefly talked about reparations and how we felt about reparations on a few of our previous programs, but I wanted to discuss the importance of understanding the latest interest in reparations primarily by a lot of European people and people who in the past have been opposed to giving reparations to African people. If we go back to uh, the year uh, President Obama was elected as president, remember that he initially boycotted a conference uh, that dealt with reparations because he was not in support of African people receiving reparations, as he publicly stated, as well as Hillary Clinton, also a Democratic candidate who was never in support of black people receiving reparations. But lately now you have House speakers like Nancy Pelosi who are supporting a bill that was introduced by Sheila Jackson last year that deals with studying um, the commission or the issuance of reparations to black people for slavery. So when we look at this, we have to look at this from an African-centered view. And historically, when we look at everything that Europeans have introduced to us as a benefit or what seems to be a benefit to African people has ultimately either been a benefit to Europeans or a disaster to African people. We can go back to integration. And at that time, many of our ancestors who were fighting for uh, equal rights and were fighting for equal access to opportunity who were not really fighting for integration. But that movement was usurped primarily by these small hats who were control of an organization called NAACP and who really put the idea of integration into the minds of black people and started that push towards ending segregation, which ultimately we know drove a negative effect on black businesses, drove a negative effect on 
the black communal aspect of African people sticking together, along with a number of many other negative things. We go back and we look at the many things that Europeans went around the world and offered to many other people around the world that seemed to be good, ultimately turned out to be disastrous. When we look at the Maafa, the start of the Maafa, what was known as the Europeans were called the transatlantic slave trade. But the great disaster for African people started by Europeans tricking African people into believing that this religion, this great religion that they had called Christianity uh, was something of benefit to African people. When we look at our history, we can see that ever since the introduction of this religion, along with Islam and other foreign religions that come into Africa, it has been nothing but a disaster. Uh, it, it, when you talk about the historical greatness of African people, we've been at our lowest point ever since we've been introduced to these foreign religions. So we look at reparations, and now you have not only Europeans in America, but you have Europeans around the world talking about the idea of black people, African people receiving reparations, not only for slavery, but also for neo-colonialism, colonialism, and a lot of the other atrocities that happened to African people in the Caribbeans, on the African continent, right here in the United States, and also in other European countries. We have to ask the most important question, and that question is why? And this is one of the things that a lot of people don't usually ask, not only when we talk about current events, but when we talk about historical events. We often ask the other important questions like who, what, where, when, how. But the most important question we forget to ask is why? Why is it important for Europeans now to push the idea or support the idea of reparations, something that they have been opposed to for such a long time? Well, one of the first things that we can look at is the most obvious is the upcoming election. So you don't have to be too smart to really see that, you know, with the upcoming election, the Democrats not really having a strong candidate to run against Donald Trump. They're looking for any edge that they can possibly get to win over votes, especially from African people or black people in America to help push them over the edge against the Republicans in 2020 election. So we can say that that could be one of the reasons why they're pushing this reparations on African people. But when I look at this, just from you know my African third eye, I really see this reparations as, and, and this is not something that, I, I usually don't like to talk about things that I don't have any hard evidence on yet, but this is something that's still being researched. But I really wanna research and see if this is another small hat agenda um, to push towards the outcome of Europeans trying to repair a relationship that they can build on building another avenue back into controlling the African continent. When we look at 
the latest control of Africa, we can see that a lot of the power in Africa or the control in Africa is shifting over to China because of the, the, the billions of dollars that they're investing into the continent in various countries. And a lot of European control outside of the military, of course, AFRICOM, has really been lost when it comes to business ventures. This is why John Bolton uh, recently made the statement that these African countries have to align with the U.S. or else. So to me, when I look at reparations being given to African countries and to African people here in America, it's being given by Europeans as an investment in their future control of Africa and African people. Just like integration for a lot of Europeans, specifically a lot of Jewish Europeans, was an investment for them to be able to further push and control business in the United States. A lot of people hear the stories about the Negro Leagues and how much money the Negro Leagues used to bring in when it was a black-owned, ran-and-operated baseball league and how much money they lost and how much money the major leagues gained after integration when the black players were allowed to integrate with the major leagues. So we, when one of the things that the small has are very good at doing is they're very good, up, good at observing the chessboard, especially when it comes to finance, and understanding how to shape and crab the emotions based around what they want to accomplish or what they want to sell. So this idea of reparations, and many black people will fall for this trick because this, once black people receive reparations from the Europeans, that will be their last, pretty much their last handout of them saying, you see now you have no more excuses you can't say, you can't blame us for anything that happened in the past because we've repaired that relationship. We've given you an equal opportunity, which we know that whatever the reparations that they decide on is not really going to be equal or fair. So people that don't have the mentality that there is no settlement, there is no repairing that can be done by any monetary value, for what happened to us, what happened to our ancestors, are gonna fall into this trap of feeling one, feeling integrated, feeling assimilated with the European. And it's gonna allow the European to really continue to enforce their control. But now, instead of having to do it on a level where they are trying to use deceit and they're trying to use uh, lies to accomplish what they want to accomplish now because you feel that that they've repaired this relationship you're going to act almost as an employee for them to help them bring in the benefits to help them get the investments in africa these african countries who will accept these reparations are going to welcome the europeans in with open arms and they're going to say come in and take our minimum resources come in and do business with us come in and we'll allow you to show us how to run our countries, which is ultimately going to benefit them. So when I look at this, I look at it as a much bigger tool than just the next election coming up. I look at this as the Europeans, for them, putting a nail in the coffin 
and and what we have to understand too is this you have different sides of the European power structure or the white power structure okay so you have more of a nationalistic side which that would be what you consider a lot of these guys you see here these conservative guys or the alt-right as you would call them guys and then you have these Europeans who operate from a global perspective where their primary focus is profiting and getting money however they can get it by any means necessary. That means whoever they got to kill, they're going to kill, and they're going to use whoever they can use to get the money they want to get. That peck of wood that's in the backwoods somewhere in Alabama is not going to work with a Negro in Alabama, no matter how much money he can get. He's so racist, racist against that black man that he's not going to work with him. But that Jew, that small hat, who knows that he hates that black man, but that he can profit and benefit from that black man is going to work with him and is going to exploit him. So reparations is a tool of exploitation. This is what we have to understand. Now, this is not me saying that if somebody gives you a check and they say here's a tool for reparations or here's reparations, let's say your check is $50,000. Don't say almost told me not to take the money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is do not allow somebody to buy or monetarily repair a blood debt that's owed to your ancestors for what they did to our people. Never allow someone to come in with money and pay off debts that can't be repaid through money. As our ancestor Bobby Wright taught us, when he said blood debts can only be repaid in blood. The great Muhammad Ali said you can run but you can't hide. Eventually we're going to have to stand up and fight. And I know a lot of us are scared. I know a lot of people don't want to deal with that fact. But eventually it's going to take place. It's inevitable. It's inevitable when you are in a war that you're going to have to fight. And we can't sit back and take the easy way out and think that somebody cutting us a check is going to erase 400 to 2,000 years of European and white oppression is going to magically put black people back on the path towards greatness. It's not going to happen like that. So I just wanted to give you that message so that the people will know no matter what group is out here pu pushing reparations, no matter what Europeans you see that are supporting reparations, don't fall for the reparations trick. If you want to take the money, take it from them. Take the money. But don't let them take what's in your heart, the vengeance for revenge. And I'll say it, we have to have that in our heart at all times. We have to have the vengeance for revenge at all times. That's the only way African people are going to be liberated. Well said, brother. Well said. I think um, a lot of people really don't want to address the issue of what Bobby Wright was really talking about and others. They're really talking about retributive justice which uh, reparations is, you know, that, that, that's a separate issue from retributive 
retributive justice, retribution. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people simply don't want to deal with that just because of the obvious uh, military imbalance and, you know, and other factors. Uh, menticide, Dr. Dr. Wright described as the systematic destruction of a group of people's mind for the purpose of extirpating those people. And Steve Biko said that the uh, most important weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. That's all part of the mentocidal process, the destruction, destruction of the the mind, the the capacity to 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 think critically, to think in terms of you know what's best for us as African people. Mental destruction. So yeah, there there are a lot of people that don't want to deal with the whole that whole issue. I mean, they won't. It's not even something that anybody wants even to discuss. Uh, the whole idea of of retributive justice. You know, the Bookman duty called for. Uh, you know, in Feb in uh, August of uh, 1791, when they when they reignited the Haitian Revolution that Mackendall and others had been been trying to uh, launch for years. So yeah, that's uh, th- there's a lot going on with this issue, man. I mean, this issue is becoming increasingly uh, convoluted, and you know, there, there's just a lot that's 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 going on with it. I mean, we had the, for example, the European Parliament uh, recently called for for reparations. Uh, that's the uh, European Union Parliament call for reparations for crimes against humanity. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if you can if you can believe that, if you if if you can actually believe that they that they they even had those words uh come out of their mouths. I mean, that's just uh it, it's absolutely incredible, you know, that said the uh, the resolution urges member states of the EU to form an executive and, and to form and execute anti-racism strategies within their home nations specifically focusing on the fields of education, housing, health, criminal justice, political participation, and migration. The resolution also endorses uh, action regarding reparations made to Afro-Europeans for crimes against humanity during European colonialism. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Now, in terms of, in terms of, in terms of fighting the struggle, I think, I, I, I don't see this coming through any kind of legislation, to be honest with you. No. I don't, I mean, uh, John Conyers first introduced this bill, I believe it was in 19, maybe 87. H.R. 40 is the title of the bill. It was titled The, the Commission uh, to Study, you know, reparations, the possibility of reparations for you know, African people in America, people of African descent in America, and he introduced it every year from its origin. It was either 1987 or 1989. I think it was 87. And the bill has rarely gotten very few sponsors. Many, many, many of the uh, people in the Congressional Black Caucus have never supported it. And now all of a sudden, it's become like the hot button issue that uh, that everybody's discussing. Um, I think 
if people really wanted to deal with the issue from in terms of a a financial robbery that took place, just just a financial robbery. Now we're not talking about the total offer, which no. is cultural cultural genocide, physical genocide, uh, and and all of the ramifications of that. You know, extending really from uh, 1441. If if you want to uh, if you want to focus on something that may produce some kind of financial dividends and keep it crystal clear as to what you're talking about, I would say look at these corporations. Let me just give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, they there was there was a recent there was a recent di- discovery and you know it's amazing how much African history is being constantly uh, discovered every day. There was a sister named Radoshi, and she was captured in Benin in 1860. Some say 1859. She was the last survivor of the Clotilda. The Clotilda was supposedly the last ship to leave Africa with enslaved Africans bound for the United States. And they found out that um, that she was uh, kidnapped in it's in what is today Benin at the age of twelve, and she survived the uh, Middle Passage, landed in Mobile, and she was uh, purchased. Uh, she was married off to a to a brother, and she was purchased by a guy named Washington Smith. Washington Smith was the owner of the. Uh, Bogey Chitu Plantation, Cheto Plantation in Alabama. And he was also the founder of the Bank of Selma. The Bank of Selma was eventually bought by uh, American, uh, by AmSouth Bank. And AmSouth Bank is, uh, was purchased by Regions Bank that, that uh, you know, we see here in Charlotte and other places. So here, so here is a corporation that has a direct connection to the enslavement of African people. And this was one of the things that Brother Bob Brown did in his book, uh, Slavery, Slavery and the Slave Trade Were Crimes Against Humanity. He did a whole lot of research and uncovered a whole lot of corporations. You know, now we, you know, we're finding out about um, Georgetown University, Harvard, Princeton, almost all of these schools were some way connected to people that that uh you know they benefited from donations and founders who were involved uh, in the enslavement of african people one way or another and uh one of the things that happened back in 2005 when jp morgan chase was exposed um uh, there was a very strong sister politician in chicago named dorothy tillman who was threatening J.P. Morgan Chase with all kinds of economic sanctions. And so they decided to uh, come up with $5 million, which was not even a drop in the bucket, but to provide um, to provide scholarships for people for because J.P. Morgan Chase had purchased this bank in Louisiana. So I think you could, I think you have a better chance, in my opinion, for people who are interested in this, of going after corporations, 
what was then Wachovia, which is now Wells Fargo, was also tied to uh, to chattel to chattel slavery. So I mean, you could go through and find hundreds, if not thousands, of corporations in the United States right now that have have their roots, uh-huh. you know, in chattel slavery. And so, why shouldn't these people be forced? to, uh, you know, give some some kind of a financial compensation. But you have to be crystal clear. This, 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 this is not the same as a total recovery for all of the death and destruction that African people have suffered over the past, well, beginning uh, in this hemisphere, beginning with the disaster of 1492. And... Uh, you know, the transatlantic process. Before that, Africans were being transported by the Portuguese primarily, Prince Henry the Navigator and his uh, sailors, to Europe. But beginning with the, the, the disaster of 1492, and then, of course, with the 20 and odd that arrived in uh, Port, Point Comfort, what a, what a heck of a name, Point Comfort, Virginia. Initially, everybody said... Africans arrived at Jamestown, and they found out they actually didn't arrive there. So this is the 400th year that uh, that of, of the African sojourn in the in the United States under the chattel slavery process. Obviously, I, some Africans were here before. So it's a very it's a very complex issue. I mean, certainly, all the 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 doke is 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 is. is is, is at work in all kinds of areas. Uh, these political prostitutes who are groveling for votes. Uh, other uh, international forces, obviously, people with their with their eyes on Africa and given all of the corrupt leaders on the continent. You know, they, they they will sell their souls to anybody, anybody with a check, right? Anybody with a check. So yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely an issue that we need. We need to view from an in-depth perspective, and then you have this this conflict <laughs> by this group called the American Descendants of Slavery, who want to define you know who should and shouldn't be eligible. But basically, that's they're just using reparations as a cover for their anti-immigration uh, policies that. Uh, because they they they're connected to uh, the the broader nativist movement of mm. white nationalists that uh, that uh, are suffering from do- what Dr. Wilson called the fear of genetic annihilation the the fear of the black planet <laughs> right they 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 they're in like under extreme stress because of the of the changing demographics in this country so they launched this anti uh, you know, integration movement. Well, they didn't launch it. I mean, they uh, they have uh, escalated the anti-integration movement, particularly with the the uh, guy in the White House right now. So there's a lot going on, man. With this, there's a lot going on with this issue that uh, that we need to stay on top of. To your point about the corporations, I remember when I found out um, Brooks Brothers, the clothing store. They actually started their company off of selling clothes for slaves. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> you know, brother, I uh, <laughs> I was listening to Brother Macaroo give the um, list of 
corporations that have benefited from our misery. You know, one that comes to mind is Lloyd's of London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how many African athletes are, you know, have been insured by Lloyd's of London? Exactly. But, uh, you know, what the European has always had, obviously, is a financial largesse. You guys can speak more intelligently on it. Uh, to co-op African leaders, uh, Dr. Ture reminded us that uh, there are a few, pan- well, I hate to use pan-Africanist leadership, but you're going to have to introduce us to another term. But uh, the corruption, you know, I mean, Mobutu said the Seiko when he was alive, seven hotels on the Monte Carlo, uh, easy to corrupt our leadership. Twin with that, you know, the European has the most effective killing machine in the world, you know, which is the basis of his power, really, Africa and everywhere else. And uh, even if we were to achieve sovereignty, you know, his tendency to encroach everywhere at will, you know, is the issue that we have to deal with to really, you know, defend sovereignty if we were to ever achieve it. Of course, we have to keep this idea alive, but when I think about the structure of uh, U.S. government, you know, you got corporations and corporate lobbyists to uh, basically lobbying, and um, you got many of your politicians who are venal, corrupt, the love of money. Um, well, you pe- know, Amos called it, uh, you know, he told in that first book we read, Right, he talked about the system of reward and punishment. Yeah, right. You can reward with the carrot as well as the stick. So we do not have those mechanisms in place to really f- influence U.S. government uh, by way of carrot or stick. Uh, clearly, we can influence some corporations, uh, but we're not in the game, really, for lack of a better term, to influence these indentured politicians. You know, we lack that power apparatus. I view it as a political ploy, you know, more than anything else. Uh, when <laughs> obviously there are issues that the Democratic Party could address but won't address. We march, but yet we're being killed at least two Africans a day, an extra ju- judicial murder. Um, the marches have not halted or impeded one bit the engines of of white supremacy. Mm. You know, we're talking about a martial plan for the inner city to integrate many of Africans into the uh, economic system, mm. uh, some alternative to mugging and everything else. But, uh, you know, here again, see, we, 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 we have failed to really put forth the nationalist ideology that Malcolm was talking about to uh, remedy or, or at least ameliorate many of the problems that we find, uh, and, and you know, suffice it to say, you know, the reparations has basically, uh, from my view, altered African American agency, you know, in attending to these much needed problems. I just cannot see the Democratic Party or any party. The white man has two parties. <laughs> it is the corrupt two-party system. Uh, moving on because time really is flying. Uh, several issues taking place on the African continent that we need to address. Um, 
we have the uh, issue of the land, <laughs> very interesting, land issue in, in Zimbabwe, which we thought was solved. Now we find that it isn't. We have the comments of uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa, who is groveling for votes to try to keep the ANC in power for the election that's coming up in May in Azania. Uh, we have uh, the removal of uh, Omar al-Bashir from uh, after 30 years of power in Sudan. We have uh, the the uh, xenophobia. Amazingly, amazingly, the Africans uh, calling other Africans foreigners in Africa. So, um, uh, where you want to start, brother? You want you want to start with with our disappointment and what's happening in Zimbabwe? You want to. You want to start with that one, or you want to hit Cyril first? Which one you want to hit? Well, I, I, I've only looked at the Zimbabwe situation from the surface. I know how I Lord. feel about it. Yeah. But I know you probably have more detail into it. But I'll just say, I don't understand how you allow the people who have been oppressing you in your own country for all of these years, after Mugabe went in in strong arm and took land that was rightfully yours, back from these people who had stolen this land illegally. Mm -hmm. And now you are saying that you're going to compensate these people for the land that they, that, that, that they stole. Brother, so it's so mind boggling. <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, when particularly when you have black first land first and the EFF and others, the Pan-African Congress and, and South and Azania saying, look, <laughs> We 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 want we taking our land with no compensation, and then here you have Zimbabwe fought a successful liberation struggle, beat the Europeans, beat the white supremacists on the battlefield, should have actually finished the job, should have finished the job, okay, but instead of finishing the job, the white supremacists ran to their cousins Ian Smith and his cohorts in what was then Rhodesia, ran to, ran to their cousins in the United Kingdom in the United States and said, can we get them to sign a peace treaty? Now, you got these people beat. Obviously, you would have had to continue to fight for, for, for some more years, but you, but you could have forced them into total capitulation. So, uh, so Zimbabwe has put in their constitution that they that they would that, that they plan to compensate the white farmers whose land who who had stolen land from Africa as you know going back to Cecil Rhodes and they plan to compensate them for the land that Robert Mugabe took because of uh, the crookedness of their cousins. Let, let me just read this. Okay, Zimbabwe plans to compensate white thieves for stealing black land. When Robert Mugabe, this was a serious mistake Robert Mugabe made, but I'm saying that, I'm looking at that, this from, you know, 30,000 feet because I've never run a country. I never, I've never fought in a liberation struggle, not in armed struggle. I've had some fights, but with the Europeans, but not, you know, not at that level. So he, he signed what's called the Lancaster House Agreement in 1979, 
The U.S. and the United Kingdom agreed to pay the colonizers for returning the land to Africa to the African people of Zimbabwe. And just like virtually every treaty they signed, they reneged on the deal. So Zimbabwe, led by Mugabe, started taking back their land. Okay? So he, they went to England. They asked Mugabe to come to England. He and Joshua and Coma and other leaders, they came to England. They sat down. But Mugabe was the heavyweight. He was the one that they could, had to make the decision. They convinced him to sign this treaty. No matter how many treaties they signed with Sitting Bull and everybody else, right, Geronimo, no, 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 no. They, they, they reneged on every friggin' treaty they've ever signed unless somebody had equal power, right? And they reneged on it. They were supposed to be paying for the land to go back to African people. And they, they, they bought, they, they gave them some money. And then they, then, uh, when, uh, the deal was signed under Ronald Reagan and, 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 uh, Margaret Thatcher. And when Thatcher, the United States never really contributed very much of anything. You know, you know, these Europeans over here, I mean, hey man, like they're the most hard asses they are. Right. So they weren't about to, they weren't about to, but when, uh, Tony Blair replaced Margaret Thatcher, he told Mugabe, oh, you signed the, you didn't sign the deal with the United Kingdom. You signed the deal with the Thatcher administration. Oh, See how these God. people are always pulling. Okay, in other words, this is the government. It doesn't matter which political party, the Labor Party, the Conservative Party, just like the Republican Party, the Democratic Party. So they reneged on the deal. So now they've said that, uh, that, they 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 changed the constitution mm. to uh, to come up with uh, I forgot how much fifty four million pounds or something to that effect. Here's a country uh, along with uh, Mozambique, not as bad as Mozambique or, Mo or Malawi, but still significantly. Ten thousands of Africans have been ravaged by the by the cyclone, uh, Adea. And you're talking about paying these thieves that stole your land. It's just mind-boggling, man. I mean, I'm just, uh, I, it's hard to process. Because they're still, they're begging, they are begging for acceptance to get these sanctions dropped. That's what it is all about. I'm glad you brought that up. But go ahead with that point. Go ahead with that. Yeah, I mean, they, they thought, you know, that they could appease the European by having open, uh, in fair elections, mm -hmm. allowing people to come in and monitor these elections, right. they thought they thought that that was going to be the ticket. The, yeah, the ticket for them to be able to get the sanctions dropped. But then, right. then the Trump administration said, "No, we we not going to drop the sanctions." They just uh, keep moving they, they the keep, goalposts. They keep moving the goalposts. So now, now they're coming out and said we're going to pay the farmers, and they thinking that this is going to be another, uh, another ticket that they can use to get these. Sanctions drop, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until they're not going to drop the sanctions on, on Zimbabwe until they have their political party, which they favor in power, and a leader that they can control running the government, and then they'll drop the sanctions. Yeah, you know, they want somebody that, that's mm -hmm. going to run the Chinese out, mm -hmm. right? Because, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, you know, uh, ZANU had a historical relationship Way, way, way back, way, way, way back. I attended the Congress of African Peoples in 1970s. I was still a teenager. 
And we had representatives there from all over the African continent, brothers that were fighting in these liberation struggles. They, 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 they were the representatives. So we had representatives from ZANU and ZAPU. We didn't know exactly which one we should support because, first of all, we don't know, since all of y'all are fighting the same people, why do you have all these different groups? Okay, but then we got a lot of different groups here. So anyway, uh, the Chinese historically, in, in, this, in the War of Liberation, the Chinese supported uh, Robert Mugabe and ZANU, and the Russians supported Joshua and Como and ZAPU. So you had, you had the Zimbabwe African National Union and the Zimbabwe African People's Union. Those were the two main liberation organizations. So, yeah, I'll, I'll look, when, when you start compromising with these people, they will be never satisfied until you own the on your knees or you bent over grabbing your ankles so they can ram you with whatever they want. Mm. They will. They, I mean, they they will never. Uh, it's, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop because they just keep moving the goalposts. And then we had Cyril Ramaphosa, the billionaire, the billionaire president of uh, Zania, South Africa, saying that uh, they have. Th this is not just a problem in Zania. They have. A brain drain, but it's uh, most of it. Most of it actually is not white people because most countries don't have enough white people. It's a, a lot of uh, Africans with uh, you know uh, advanced degrees and whatnot are leaving the country. So, so Ramaphosa said, uh, you know, I don't want white young South Africans to leave the country, and if I could, I would tie them down to a tree and say, "Don't leave." I want you here in our country. I want your skills. This is a place. There is room for all of us. It is not going to be a land grab. So whereas Julius Malema and the EFF and the uh, the Black First Land First and the, the Pan-Africanist Congress, where, whereas these people are saying, look, we want our land. You, you know, we having the right to vote and all of this kind of stuff, the heck with all of that. We want our land. And so you hear, here you have Ramaphosa. And, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, man, why would you say something like that even if you believed it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, please, please, white folks, don't leave. You know, don't take all your skills and go to the United States and, and Europe. You know, there's plenty of room for you here. And when, when this country, man, is in an absolute black people in South Africa, the average black person in South Africa is living in an economic depression. There are astronomical rates of crime in large cities like uh, Johannesburg and Cape Town and Pretoria because they never addressed the fundamental issue. This is why Chris Honey walked out. Chris Honey said, you know, I... I came across the river with an AK-47 in my hand. I saw my brothers, you know, being killed in the Zambezi River. And I didn't, I didn't come here to sit down to compromise over what we were fighting for. We were fighting for a land. That's why they had to kill Chris. If Chris Harney lives, you would have had a true revolution in, in, uh, in, in, in Azania and you wouldn't be dealing with the issue right now. 
that uh, that we're dealing with. So I mean, it's uh, I don't know. <laughs> Y'all got it. These well, things I mean, are difficult it, to process, man. I'm telling you. This guy comes out and begs Europeans not to leave. Now imagine at the end of quote unquote the end of chattel slavery. Of course, we know that you know you could still be enslaved in the prisons, but the end of slavery in America, with black people having all of the skills. Imagine some cracker saying, "Please, black people, don't leave." Don't leave. A hundred percent impossible. Even though they know they don't want you to leave, they're not going to say it. They're not going to say yeah. it. They're going to say, "Go ahead, get out of here, go back to Africa. We don't want you mm-hmm. here." Right. And mm-hmm. then they're going to turn around and they're going to do everything in their power to make it hard as hell. For you to be able to get out of this country, yeah. and and see and, and and see, one of the ramifications we are seeing of this, of this failure, this abject failure of the African National Congress, to deal with the economics. See, we got we this this political thing really really, you know, just took us on a whole different. Uh, in a whole different direction from where we needed to go in terms of self-determination and independence. Because if if you don't control the land, the resources, the means of production, you don't have any power. I don't care how many black presidents, vice presidents, judges, senators, what mayors, I don't care. If you don't control land and resources, the means of production on which you can build life-sustaining, life-enhancing institutions, you have no frigging power. Well, brother, I've heard you say on many occasions, both of you actually, is that uh, that's the key ingredient as it relates to an ideology. You know, we've always lacked an ideology. You know, what are your goals? What are your objectives? What do you expect to achieve? There was a couple of things come to mind. It's, it's like unchecked aggression, I thought I have, uh, leads to greater demands. Uh, older people, when I was younger, you see, you give the devil an inch. You take a mile. He wants to at least be a ruler. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and, know. Yeah, and, and, you know and, so, and, so, and so what we have taken place in Azania now is because there's such a scramble for the meager resources, you have Africans attacking other Africans that have migrated to Africa from places like, you know, Malawi and, you know, Mozambique, Nigeria, other places. And you have Africans calling other Africans foreigners in Africa. I mean, we said that, uh, you know, we said viewing mm. other Africans through the lens of Eurocentric xenophobia based on the Berlin Conference borders is idiotic. And we put up a picture of, of uh, two uh, beautiful sisters saying, an African cannot be a foreigner in Africa. Why aren't you attacking the that gun people that have, the, that have everything? You're attacking, so some brothers came there from Malawi or whatever, they may have started a business. And you're attacking them, and here the Europeans sitting back controlling everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, also the situation in Sudan mm. with President uh, Omar Al Bashir, who was forced out due to a, a military coup, and this is this is 
a scenario that we always see in not only African countries, but a lot of other countries where the power structure is set up to where the military really has all of the power. That's right. That's right. And once the president gets out of line with what the military wants, Mm -hmm. the military will step in and overthrow that president and push him out of power. Exactly. And I think if we take an honest look at the the way that the United States is structured, I know we all hate the United States because it was run by Europeans, it was built by Europeans, and we know that it was built off of African labor. African labor. Yeah, stolen stolen land, stolen labor. But when you look at the structure of the system of America, it's hard for the military to, number one, overthrow the president because you have multiple sectors of the military. Exactly. All right, multiple branches of the military, I should say. So you got, you got the Marines, you got the Army, you got the National Guard, you got the Coast Guard, you got the Navy, you got the Air Force. All these different branches of the military that have different jobs, but it's a separation of powers. Also, when you look at the the actual power structure in regards to the Senate, you know, the House of Representatives, you know, the different uh, governors in the different states, down to the mayors, all all the way down to your your uh, local police officers. Mm-hmm. And don't forget the intelligence community. Right. You know, that's the shadow government. You got the CIA. You mm-hmm. know, you got the FBI. You got all these different groups, all these different functions. But it works almost like a well-oiled machine against other countries. And if we can learn anything from our enemies, one thing that we can take away is the structure of a government. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the history of the United States, even though it's only been in existence for about 200 some odd years, you've rarely seen, first of all, you've never seen a military coup. You have seen the shadow government step in and assassinate some presidents. Exactly. But you've never seen a part of the government have enough power to overthrow its leader. And we talk about destabilization. That's one of the things that these bigger countries feed off of when you talk about against African countries is they, they feed off of being able to destabilize a country and be able to uh, convince, bribe a military or whoever to come in and overthrow a leader. Exactly, exactly. If, if, if Robert Mugabe, or not even Robert Mugabe, if Thomas Sankara had a structure set up to where he could lay out his platform and it was a structure set up to where nobody could come in and overthrow him like that, mm-hmm. it would be 10 times harder for the Europeans to be able to come in and influence and overthrow, get a leader assassinated mm-hmm. so that they can push their agenda. Right. And see, and, and the other thing, Brother Almos and Brother uh, Jack, as you all well know, the people may go into the street and protest, and they, the people, you know, they have like... Uh, there's an economic crisis in Sudan, okay? And so so, the, so the, the people have legitimate concerns. They go into the streets and protest. Most of the militaries in Africa, the leaders of the militaries in Africa, have been trained either in the United States or somewhere in Europe and now China's getting in the game. They're smart enough to start doing the same thing. 
Russia too. And yeah, and the Soviet Union. They they've been they've been doing it, but but they're doing it more now under Putin, and they're using the uh, Central African Republic as their laboratory to see how successful they're going to be because the 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 Russians have adopted the American model of of instead of sending the Russian Marines in, they send these contractors in like Blackwater. Okay, like Blackwater is basically running the war right now in Afghanistan. Okay, and Trump wants to turn it over to him 100%. Okay, so, so, so what happens is because these, uh, these people, say like Paul Kagame, was trained at Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, okay, um, you get these guys that have been that 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 have been trained by either the the US military or the United Kingdom military and so they have a direct connection with them so i don't know who trained these the leaders of the Sudan military but i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised if there's you know some heavy foreign influences there to say okay uh, it's just like when they get to a point with a certain, uh, even with one of their favorite uh, puppets like Mobutu, when they when they decide that uh, you know it, it's no longer politically uh, tenable, then he got to go. Mm-hmm. So they could ma- they they could have made that same decision. And that's also how you know one person, the way the structure set up, one person has too much power. Because if you can change the the if you could change the uh, agenda of a country just off eliminating one person, that means that it's a flaw. It's a flaw in your power structure from the top down, and that's that's going to have to change in a lot of African countries, in order so so the African people can really have the control over the country. Because it's too easy for Europeans now to come in and be. Able, it's just like the uh, president of the Philippines when he talked about how the United States operates in double talk. Mm-hmm. Now he yeah. said, you know, he'll sit down with Trump and he'll they'll come to an agreement, but then later on Trump will say, we'll have to talk to, you know, the House of Representatives. Well, now I got to talk to the Senate. I got to, mm-hmm. you know, I got to, I got to clear, clear in so many different areas where it's, whereas these other countries operate off of their leaders having, having the power to make these decisions and the decisions flow through one person. That's got to stop. Exactly. That's got to stop in Africa. Uh, but we run out of time. Um, once again, we want to thank you for tuning in to the African Liberation Media Podcast. This has been Brother Gullah Jack. Collective Leadership. Brother Makaru. Bato Mapapano. And Brother Amos, Abibi Fahodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, 
then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.